Our first reading is from Luke chapter 5, beginning with the 27th verse. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a, doc the, a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The second reading is from Romans chapter 8, beginning at the 10th verse. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. God's word to us. Um, my uh, my week went off the rails the other day. How how was your week, by the way? Uh, it's funny asking each other that question, isn't it? Um, I just asked somebody in the hallway, and they looked at me kind of like, you, "You really want me to tell you about my whole week in 30 seconds?" Um, she was very gracious, uh, but my week went off the rails. Um, uh, 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 the other day, I was in a casual conversation with a friend, and this friend mentioned um, that they were at an event in which somebody did something really well. Uh, that person that did something well was not me, and so the, my week went off the rails, because I don't know if you've ever had this experience where um, I just began to unravel because the seed of the thought that burrowed into me that someone was better than me at something that I do um, and that person was liked probably more than I am by being better at something that I do. Um, of course, that was the whole story that I told myself. Um, and so this little seed grew into this enormous 
gnarly like weed in my mind. You know those kind that, that are left for a long time that kind of grow up out of blacktop. You know they're so gnarly and and and, and overwhelming um, that that I had that my sense of self just um, became unraveled. I started to doubt who I was and doubt um, even God's goodness to me. Um, I was kind of ready to forsake myself and even like it just made me want to get away from people in general. You know. Um, so I don't know if you've had, I, I've preached enough to know that the way things go in my mind is not the way that it goes for everyone. Um, but, but I wonder, though, if you've had the experience of just somebody saying something rather simple that has caused you to sort of unravel who you are. Like, it caused you to question your identity a little bit. Um, somebody in the world is better at doing what I do than I am. Uh, <laughs> it was, you know... Maybe next week somebody will say something like that to me and it won't hit me um, the same way. But now I'm okay at the moment. So just, you know, I, I've kind of put the pieces back together. But it's striking to me how simple it is for a person to be broken down so easily. Um, a one-minute conversation and the next moment life is meaningless and horrible. Uh, and and, and so, so I, yeah, I wonder if you can identify with this a little bit. Um, and it works the other way, too. Sometimes a simple conversation, and suddenly you feel like you're sitting on the throne of the world. Somebody says something to you, um, or you feel like the most insignificant person in the world. Um, why are we like this? I think a part of it is it's, it's, um, we, we have a sickness. The human, uh, our experience of life, we have a sickness, and the cure we need, in a word, is we need grace. Uh, we need grace to heal us, not only individually, but also as a community. Grace to heal each one of us and as a community. Um, so I want to talk. look at this unraveling that happens, what's the source of it, and, and how grace brings healing under three headings. Um, our need of grace, pride and fear, the movements of grace, and then two practices of a grace-filled community before we come to the table together. Um, so much of the problem that I think that I was talking about and that we have is, um, is two parts of yourself that each of you have. It's called pride and fear. Um, and to kind of make this easy, to make it a little less um, kind of conceptual, I want you to think about yourself as a landscape. The person is a landscape. Your pride is like an unplowed field. This is a picture from Proverbs 24. Uh, the scripture says that um, the haughty eyes and a proud heart are the unplowed field of the wicked. So it's a great image for you. You're, you have this unplowed field. Um, that, that's your pride. And what fear is in this landscape are, are the rocks that are beneath the unplowed field. Uh, and so, so what constitutes, let's look at the pride first in a person. And we're going to get to the text, by the way. I'm working backwards. This is all sort of what, 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 what I think is right there in the text for us. Um, so what, what makes up, what constitutes that unplowed field in each of us? If you were to do a sampling of that soil and, and analyze it, there's, there's sort of three ingredients or three ideas that make us, that sort of constitute the pride of the unplowed field. Um, and there, there, there are three ways of thinking about who you are that actually I, I, I'm borrowing from Pete Scazzaro. Um, here, here's, here's, here's how it goes. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what other people think of me. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what other people think of me. Um, the hardened ground of pride consists in the way I make myself acceptable to myself and to others. Uh, now, I think it's important, particularly in a church, to, 
to, to differentiate this kind of pride from, from other kinds of pride. So I'm gonna, I'll just do, kind of show you what this looks like, all right? Um, Marco and Liz, uh, you are both faithful, loving uh, people in our congregation. You have been steadfast for many years, and we're grateful for you. Uh, Angie, the way that you loved and cared for the girls in our youth group um, was a rich, it is a rich blessing to us. We're grateful for you, sister. Thank you. Um, Devin, you're a joy to have in mentoring. You're just a fun kid, and I love being around you. You're a great guy. Yeah. Luke, uh, my man, you got mad skills. Really good on the basketball court. I don't want to ever go one-on-one -on -one against you. <laughs> now, I, now I could, we could keep going, right? But, but I want you to notice um, there's, there's a good thing about naming and affirming and recognizing the gifts that we have. Um, and and it's, it's good and right to do that, right, to, to affirm one another. That's not the kind of pride we're talking about. And sometimes in church we get a little weird because we have a hard time noticing and naming the gifting of each other because we're afraid of the bad kind of pride. But we shouldn't let that fear steal away what, what we just did, right? Now, the kind of pride that we're after here and that Jesus is after in this passage, you'll notice is different. The unplowed field version um, is the way some of you might be feeling now, saying, well, what about me? Why didn't he say something about me? Or, I, I think I'm actually better at Luke at basketball. That's, that's something different, isn't it, right? Um, that's, that's the unplowed field in the story. Um, and and what, here's, here's what marks it, is what we've already said. What is always with that kind of pride? What's always beneath the surface? Fear, right? Because when you say, well, what about me? Or I think I'm better than, than, than Angie at, at leading, leading youth group. Um, there's, there's fear there, isn't there? Um, so all those three ingredients, right? They're always, they always come with fear. Um, the pride and, and fear, Gut, fear is always in the guts of this pride, right? So here's how it goes. Remember the three, the three ingredients. I am what I do. Um, what's, what's the fear there? A fear of failure. Uh, I am what I have, a fear of emptiness. Uh, I am what other people think about me, a fear of rejection. So they always go hand in hand. And so all of this um, is at work in these verses from Luke in particular, um, that Susan read for us. And in this one simple story, Jesus calls Levi to follow him. And, and what are we told? Levi gets up. I, I love how this happens in the biblical text. You're like, you just left everything? You just said, all right. You just followed him. Um, and, then, and then, of course, he then, Levi throws a banquet in his home um, for Jesus. And the trouble in the story, that all seems okay, uh, well and good. But then trouble arrives when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law uh, see that Jesus is eating uh, with Levi and his friends, um, and they, they have a problem with that. Now, a little bit of historical sort of context here will help you. And if you've, you've, been, if you've studied the Bible for a while, this should, these things should be familiar to you. Um, in the first century, just as today, there are...
um, you're not necessarily uh, approving of everyone who's here, right? Because you're sharing the same space. But, if, but in the ancient world, if you sat down and you shared a meal with someone, um, that, was a si that was a signal of acceptance. Um, it, it means it's a gesture of intimacy. And, and that's somewhat true if you go to someone's house during these supper sessions. You're, you're entering a home. You're seeing the state of the kitchen, right? You're seeing each other's home. There's, there's intimacy there. And so in the same way, Jesus is not just sort of doing an exploratory mission like, hey, I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm just going to check you out. No, sitting down, sharing a table is a, is a sign of intimacy, um, of, of, a, of acceptance. And this is a problem because... Tax collectors, I mean, we don't all love tax collectors now, right? No one's like, I love my, the person I pay taxes to. Um, but but it, there's a respectable job that a person could have working for the IRS in, in our current context. Not so much in the ancient world. Um, they, they're known as extortionists. They're at the employ of either Rome or Herod, uh, and, and, and they're, they're extorting their own people. Um, and Jesus is crossing that boundary and sharing a meal with them with these social outliers. And so, so then that brings us back to the, the complaint of the Pharisees. Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And, and so, so I want to actually just look, what, what's going on with these Pharisees uh, at a deeper level? I mean, what kind of person, uh, what's going on in their life when they show up at a party that they're not invited to, to complain about the people that are seated around the table. And they don't even like any of the people. What, what, can you imagine doing that? You go to somebody else's party and you start to nitpick about who's there. What, what, what's going on? And this is where we get, this is, this, is the, this is the face of fear and pride. People who are consumed with fear and pride do these kinds of things. Um, the, the Pharisees, their, their right desire to honor God and obeying the law had sort of disintegrated into this system of self-protection. Um, if we take our, our pride ingredients, um, the, the Pharisees' version was more um, corporate. It was more community-based. It would have been, we are what we do. Uh, we are what we have. We are what people, what others think of us. And so their reaction to Jesus shows that even religious language um, it does not break up their pride. It does not cast out their fear. In the name of being God's people, their, their community, the community of the Pharisees had become mired in making themselves acceptable to themselves. That was, that was what their, their, their burden was. So, so look, so here we are, right? The trouble for communities, we're talking about community, is not necessarily bringing people together for a shared purpose. That's actually kind of the easy part. You can find groups rallying around all kinds of different purposes, right, and ideas. Um, that's not the issue. The issue for a community is how do you deal with the pride and fear at the center of every person? Um, so I'm, I'm just hoping as you're hearing this, you're, you're finding how this is at work in your own life in, in some small way. Um, pride and fear are at the root of every kind of social um, disintegration. So just, just take um, racism, for example. Um, I'll use the color. Think about how simple and, um, and evil this is. Um, I'm going to use the color of my skin as a way to elevate myself over other people whose skin color is different than mine. This is pride. Think about how just plainly simple and sad that notion is. But it's just, it's, 
It's pride, right? Um, and here's the fear part. I'll form a community around this pride out of the fear that otherwise I'll be rejected by others. So, so racism broadly in our country, like this is how it works, right, in the human heart. Um, but of course, like, I hope you can see, like, this is also the way the junior high cafeteria table works, right? This is the way that cliques form in any social gathering. It's the way we separate each other. It's the way we create division. It's the engine for all of that. Um, here, here's maybe one that's more personal for you. Um, I'm always in a hurry. A person who's always in a hurry, and I, I'm identifying this to myself, that's pride. I have lots to do. I'm always in a hurry, um, and if I slow down, I don't know actually who I'll be or what I'll have to do. Fear. And, and hurriedness is a killer of community, isn't it, right? So pride and fear, right? This is, what's, this is what we face. Um, and so let's look then at the second point. What are the movements of grace? How does Jesus respond to the Pharisees' fear and pride? Um, I just want to go th with you three movements, and they're right here in the story. Um, in the simple little text, uh, there's three movements that Jesus makes. The first move is Jesus calls to Levi. In verse 27, Jesus saw him, and he said, follow me. And the invitation is the first movement of, of grace. Um, it is an unmerited favor. Grace is a gift that's given, unmerited. Uh, and, and it's kind of easy to miss, right? Sometimes we, we get confused about what grace is, particularly according to the scriptures. Um, so think about it. If you're, if, say you're in line uh, uh, to, to get a hoagie at Wawa, and, um, and you, you run, you're short on cash. Now, I know no one carries cash anymore. But if you, you, you don't have enough to pay for your hoagie, and somebody behind you gives you the extra 40 cents to pay, um, that's not grace. That might be a kind thing to do. But think about, there's so many things that that person in that line is doing to merit the favor, right? So one, you're, you're, you're so close. You have, you have all but 40 cents. Um, you're, you're behaving civilly in society. You're standing in a line. So the person behind you is like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll help that person out. Um, you're, you're doing a good deed. You're in a Wawa buying a hoagie, right? This is a good thing to do for the universe, you know? Um, so this is not grace. It's a kind act. It's, it's somewhat merited um, that I would help my fellow, my fellow in, in, in Wawa. Grace is different. Grace is entirely unmerited. Um, and remember what we, what we said about tax collectors, right? Levi has nothing to present himself to Jesus as, as one who's standing in the line of Wawa, right? Um, Levi is a little bit more like he's in a subway and he's ordering a, a grinder, right? Um, I, you know, he's, he's, he's in the wrong place. He's using the wrong terms. You guys don't even know what a grinder is, and that's good. Some of you don't know. It's like a horrible word for hoagie, right? Um, it's a word that no East Coast person should ever use. My point is, Levi has no merit to him at all. I thought that would make sense, but it clearly did not. Um, <laughs> He's ordering a sub, you know, he's, he's wrong. So, so what's the, you know, and, and I'm sort of making light of, an, of, of a really serious important thing, which is that um, when you come to God, when you're before God and you receive grace, you, you, have, you, merit, you don't merit it at all. It's a, the, the scriptures tell us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, so the seriousness of that is you stand before the living God, unable to merit anything 
before him. In fact, in fact, what's true about you is you reject and run away from him in your pride and fear. And grace reaches into that unmerited state to invite you to say, follow me. And so that's the first move. The second move is, is Jesus' entrance into Levi's home to share a table with him. Levi got up, he left everything and followed Jesus. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. So, so grace is something that we receive unmerited into our life, but, but it's not like, um, like the Amazon package that sits on your, grace doesn't sit on your doorstep waiting for you to pick it up. Um, it, grace enters your life the way that, that Jesus enters as an honored guest into a home. Uh, you're not only forgiven by God, but, but grace, it, by, by grace we belong to him. He enters in. Grace is not outside you, brothers and sisters. It's, a, it's an unmerited gift that you receive into your life. And then the final move of grace um, comes in, in Jesus' rep- response to the, the complaint of the Pharisees in verse 31 and 32. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, so, so think about what Jesus is do- doing here. On the one hand, He's rebuking the Pharisees, um, but, but as he rebukes the Pharisees, he's also affirming Levi. Uh, so, so track with me, right? The, the root of pride and fear is you have a wrong idea about God. You spurn God because, because you think that he'll either reject you or he'll require too much of you, so, so you've got to go it alone. But in receiving Jesus, um, Levi is, is sort of taking a gamble on, on grace, um, on Jesus' character. Because think about it. What if, what if, um, if Levi, res- he responds to the call, he leaves everything, he throws a banquet in his home for Jesus. It, Levi invites all his friends over. Jesus arrives at the table, and, and he finds Levi's worldview too repulsive. Or, or he finds his friends kind of unsavory. Or he finds the food is no good. And Jesus is like, thank you very much. I'll see you later. And, and is out the door. There's a bit of a risk for Levi. Uh, put it another way, which I was trying to put it to you, is if I leave behind pride and fear, who am I? What do I have? Right? What's left? If I'm not what I do, if I'm not what I have, if, if I'm not what other people think about me, then who am I? And so Jesus is, he affirms his communion with Levi. He, in effect, right, his rebuke of the, the Pharisees is also saying this. He's saying, the very person that I am, Levi, and the very sickness that you carry means that you are, excuse me, that means that you are, you are just my cup of tea, right? You are just the person I want to be with. Because of who I am and because of the problem that you have, we are both in the exact right place. So, so what's the, the third move of grace? Grace restores you to right relationship with your God. You, you are sick. I'm the, I'm, I'm the doctor who will make you well. You're a sinner. I'm the one who will lead you to repentance. God says in that moment, I know you all the way down to the bottom of your mess. 
I know you all the way down to the bottom of your mess, and I accept you in a full embrace. That's, um, that's the, the, the sort of the punctuation I want to put on that with uh, Father Capon's text uh, quote that I'm so fond of. Um, he says, trust him, and when you have done that, you are living the life of grace. No matter what happens to you in the course of that trusting, no matter how many waverings you may have, you simply believe that somebody else, by his death and resurrection, has made it all right. And you just say, thank you, and shut up. <laughs> It's in a, in a good way, Gloria. It's not a mean way. Uh, the, ho the whole slop closet full of mildewed performances, which is all you have to offer, is simply your death. It is Jesus who is your life. If he refused to condemn you because your works were rotten, he certainly isn't going to flunk you because your faith isn't so hot. You can fail utterly, therefore, and still live a life of grace. You can fold up spiritually, morally, and intellectually and still be safe because at the very worst, all you can be is dead. And for him who is the resurrection and the life, that just, that just makes you his cup of tea. So good. So, so grace, he moves, you toward, uh, moves toward you as an unmerited gift. He enters your life to be with you. He brings you life by relocating you before your God. Um, and so, so then how, what, what is this, how does this translate then, brothers and sisters, into, into us being a grace-filled community? Um, I, I just want to return back to our image of the unplowed ground and the rocks. Um, what is grace in the metaphor, right? We're going to stretch the limits. Extended metaphors are dangerous. Um, so we'll just stretch it a little bit more. What, what is grace in that picture? It's tempting to think of grace as the plow. But, but I'm going to suggest to you it's not. Um, the plow is actually uh, the hands at work, your hands, to break up and unearth the rocks in your life. That's actually you. That, stay with me for a minute. Because I know some of you are like, whoa, whoa wait a second. Uh, that's actually you. That's you at work on yourself. But, but, but here's, here, here's the difference, right? Because Levi, what does Levi do? Levi is not inert. He does, he's, he's incredibly active in this, in this grace-receiving process. He, he leaves everything, right? He throws a banquet. He invites his friends over at the invitation of Jesus, at the invitation of Jesus, right? Key point, Levi sets to work. Levi sets to work picking up the plow. Grace in this image is the seed and the water and the sun. It's the atmosphere that brings growth and new life. In partnership with Jesus, brothers and sisters, in partnership with Jesus, Levi begins to grow and find new life. Because, th because think about how this works, right? Um, no amount of labor, no amount of Levi's labor will earn more sunshine. Right? See, grace, Dallas Willard said it so well, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Right? You can't, the idea of earning rain and sun is, is silly because it defies the very nature of what grace is. You can't earn more grace. But you're called to partner with Jesus as you, you, you create pathways in which grace can be poured into, into your life. Grace invites you to have agency, to set a table for God, and trusting that he will show up and heal the sin-sick soil in your heart by bringing abundance of life and fruit. So, so, how does, so, 
that we've kind of carried through the metaphor. How does that then work through in our community? Um, just give you two practices before we go. Uh, Levi invites his friends um, to over, and, and in a way that, that kind of constitutes a, a public confession by Levi. He's saying, I'm sick. Uh, I need healing. Uh, so, so just as Jesus called Levi, God actually invites us all to repent and to confess our need for a doctor. Um, you, you lay yourself down on the gurney. And we do this individually, of course, um, daily, hour by hour, moment by moment. But a grace-filled community actually does this together, too. Um, and, and I think this is a place for us to grow, Bridge. I think, I think, we, I think this is a, we, we, we know there's a general sense of that we all are here for healing. There's a general good gospel core. We are here for, we're sick and we need a doctor. But we're not sick in general. You don't go to the doctor and say, I'm just generally sick. Uh, confession begins when we name in specifically, how are, we, how are we sick? Where is our sickness? Where do we need to confess our particular sins and our struggles together? Um, and it looks like this. Uh, I was recently having lunch with a, with a couple from our church, and, um, and I, I said, I asked, I forget what I asked, something like, hey, have you read this book? It's by so-and-so. Um, and, um, and the husband across the table said, no, no, I've never heard of him. And then he said, I, can I just stop you for a moment? Um, I just want to notice that it's actually growth for me that I just said I don't rem know who that is because it, there's a long time in my life in which I would just lie and say, yeah, I do know who it is. Um, and I, I, I've, I know what that's about. I've been there through it. But, but it's just a simple thing where um, it wasn't like, I want to now pour out my heart to you and confess everything. No, it's just a, it's just a simple way in which we, we speak about and name our specific sins to each other. And, and we're the kind of community that, that can do that with one another. Because then, of course, I had a choice. Am I going to sit there in judgment of him? Oh, I don't do that. I would never do that. Or, or is, that's an, an invitation to, to a deeper community. He's just revealed something about himself to me. And, we, and in a moment, we sort of both are turning and looking at, at grace together and, and, and looking at Christ's work in our lives together. We, we in a sense, we actually are... We're sharing the work of plowing the field of each other's hearts. I mean, you've experienced this in community. You're actually, isn't it better to have five or six others with you working on the interior of your heart with you as we wait upon the grace of God? That, that's, that's what we do when we confess and name our sins with one another. And we, we wait upon the waters of grace poured out from the Father by the Son and through the Spirit. And then the last thing, the last thing. So confession, the last practice for us. Um, uh, in our confession, we also then are moved toward others in love and, and, and belonging. Um, uh, we, one of the things that grace does is it, is it helps us see how we are behaving like Pharisees. How does pride and fear mark our, our bridge gathering? Um, here's some questions that will, will help us think through that. Uh, what kind of people would give you pause to see gathered in church? Uh, what kinds of sins and problems do you stand ready to judge as more grievous than your own? Uh, this was a big topic that came up in our adult Sunday school last time around in the Grace and Truth as we talked about LGBTQ um, individuals. Uh, th there's many of us in the church are ready to judge LGBTQ individuals as more severely broken than ourselves. For, speaking from... from uh, from uh, 
not, a, not as an LGBTQ individual, right? Um, th th this is where fa fear and, and pride are, are work in our community, right? We're ready to judge. Um, it, perhaps it's more about politics, right? Who, what, which political position are you ready to judge? Are you ready to look down upon? These are the ways that, that we, we, ch we notice pride and fear in our midst. Um, whose attendance and participation might threaten your vision of the church? What particular skin color, voting preference, lifestyle, income level, theological bent meets your vision of the church over another? Uh, when God's grace fills our community, we are going to chase down collectively our fear and pride. We begin to show no partiality. And as a result, as a result, we, we, we're, we don't see people's mess as cause to be disillusioned. Now just hang with me. I know, I, I know we're, we're, we're deep into it, but I think this, this Bonhoeffer quote is worth it, and then we'll, we'll close, all right? So just hang in there with me. Um, when, when we confront our face and fear, uh, face our, our fear and our pride, um, it does something to our community. Um, it, it, it allows us to be comfortable with each other's mess as we turn to grace. And listen to what Bonhoeffer has to say. He says, just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we, we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate with ourselves. Disillusionment with the church and with ourselves is a good thing, he's saying. Now listen to why he says that. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. He does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses that moment, the, in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later it will collapse. Now listen, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. It's a prophetic word. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. And, and I, I wanted to make sure I, I, we got to this because I know many of you have experienced intense disillusionment with the church over the past five years. And as we look at grace, what I want to offer to you is the notion that that might actually be a good thing. Now hear me, I'm not saying it's good that we suffered and it's good that scandals happen, but your disillusionment might actually be a good thing because now all you have left is the invitation of Jesus. You have yourself, you have your household, and you have the little piece of food that's gonna be stuck in someone's teeth during our luncheon, right? You have the, the disillusioned sort of raw humanity of the people that are gathered together. The vision is sort of gone. The dream is gone. And that's actually a good thing. So, so we, chase down, we chase down fear and pride in our midst. And we're, we're, all, we're comfortable with the mess that's here. We're not caught up in a dream. So brothers and sisters, the worship team can come forward. Um, we now have the privilege in response to do two things wonderfully. We're going to share in a meal together in which we invite the grace of God from the Father by the life and death and resurrection of the Son and now through the Spirit into our lives. We're going to share in that meal together. Um, we're going to receive that grace. Um, and then we're, afterward, we're going to share 
a meal together out in the lobby, um, and we're going to share in the grace together as we enter the mess of each other's lives, and we look together to the one who brings healing. So just take a moment, um, just take a moment to, to reflect. Where, where do you hear the, the Spirit speaking to your heart? Just take a moment in your heart now.